Welcome to Better Family Travel with Amy and Kathleen, the podcast where we'll help you plan fun, enriching, and affordable experiences for you and your family that meet your goals. We'll ask ourselves hard questions, reveal our mistakes, and share a new perspective on what better family travel can look like for you. Whether you're a seasoned traveler or your journeys are just starting, you're a better family traveler just by tuning in. Hi, this is Amy DeCesare, and I'm here with Kathleen Monroe, and we're going to be joined today by friend and neighbor, Charles Daniels. Kathleen, that was a great interview we just had with Charles. I feel like some of my own personal interests were really targeted during this interview, and I think you'll be able to tell that my excitement and investment was super high tonight. Um, I really enjoyed the ideas that he has and some of the new thoughts that he brought to the table tonight. Um I, I, I think that a lot of people will get a, a lot from listening to what Charles has to say. Yeah, I really, I mean, there were so many things from his experience, um, things I didn't know that you could ask the front desk, you know, for help with when you're traveling to his thoughts on, you know, incorporating fitness with the family. But then in the second half of the interview, we really started to get real about affording family vacations. And I think his tips and his philosophy is something that will resonate with so many of our listeners and our better family travelers. So, and it might really turn some people's perspectives around about what conversations you have with your children about what you're spending and why, and what that all means to you as a family. And then how that really translates into experiences and memories and meaningfulness as a whole. So yeah. (laughs) In this day and age where we feel like we have to show one side of ourselves to the world that's maybe not as authentic being real with our family and teaching our kids you know the reality of travel including the finance piece but also giving them a chance to be a part of the process i really love how he and his wife amy incorporate the family in the entire process so Yeah. Um, I highly encourage listeners to stick through the entire episode. There's so many different points of interest through it for the travel tip at the end. Don't miss that part either. It's, It's a good one. Without anything else, we'll get to our interview with Charles Daniels. Kathleen, we're joined by a friend of ours, Charles Daniels, and I'm really excited to have him as a guest on our show. Hi, Charles. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Good evening, ladies. How are you both doing tonight? Pretty good. Thank you. I'm doing really well. I got vaccinated on Sunday, so I'm feeling really good about that. Teachers are finally eligible, and I snuck in a day early. Good for Uh, you. Yeah, it turns out I was eligible all along and didn't realize it. (laughs) The good news is I I beat the rush. So, you know, the 600,000 people that were trying to log in from Connecticut's teaching pool, I didn't have to deal with the blockages on the signups for that. So I feel like we're one foot in the right direction. Good for you. Yeah, my wife woke up at midnight and stayed up until two o'clock on the first or whatever and was able to get in. So she got her first vaccination shot yesterday. So she's very excited about that as well. That's awesome. It's going to open up some doors for us and travel. (laughs) Yeah. Charles, why don't you tell um, our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Hello, everybody out there. My name is Charles Daniels, and I live in Hebron, Connecticut with my wife, Amy, and we have three children, a daughter, Mason, 10, daughter, Piper, who's seven, and our son, Bowden, is five. So I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I've kind of pared down my business dealings over the years. And so I work now for a manufacturing company in Middlefield, Connecticut, and I own, co-own an energy company that's based here in Amston. My former career I was telling Amy about earlier was I worked in the travel industry for close to 20 years. So I do miss aspects of that. And there's aspects of it that I'm so glad that I don't have to deal with, especially now. How Um, exactly were you employed in the travel industry? So I went to Johnson & Wales University and I majored in hospitality management. And as soon as I got out of school, I went to work at a resort in Montana, first of all, but then I moved around at a few different places working in hotels and restaurants. And my last job for the Marriott Corporation, which ended just a couple years ago, was a really, really cool job that I did on an on-call basis. And what I did was I opened hotels. I helped to open hotels all across the United States and in a few other countries. So I've worked in some capacity in about 35 different states and four countries um, for Marriott opening hotels and restaurants. 
Oh, wow. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Johnson Wales is near and dear to my heart. I grew up in Rhode Island and uh, mm -hmm. actually took some classes at Johnson & Wells. And my dad, after when he got out of the army and went back to school on the GI Bill, got his associates at Johnson & Wales. And then that was able to get his career in banking going. So Johnson & Wales has done pretty good for a yeah. lot of people. It's a great school. It is. And it was a great place for me personally. Um, Providence was such an awesome city to live in with just um, proximity to things. And it's such a great food and beverage city. I still love to go there now whenever I can. But yeah, Johnson & Wales was known for that. The uh, all of us that went there, we got an associate's and a bachelor's. They were really um, big on that. They were big on a four-day school week so that we could work three days and get um, some hands-on experience. So, yeah, it was a good experience. I'm glad I went there. Did you go to Waterfire while you were there? You know... I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even know if they had it when I was there. It was so long ago. But I had a few times with my family afterwards. But um, I, don't, I don't know that they had it. I didn't have the mall there. Like, I'm an old man. So it was like Buddy <laughs> days back when I was there. Oh, so yeah. the University yeah. of Connecticut before they built up all of stores, right? It's completely different now. Right. It used to be farms and cows. And now it's, there's actually places to shop, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Now, pro like Providence now is so different than when I was there, but I, I like that it's different. I like that it's changing and um, it's it's a great place to go and bring my family. So I have another question it's about that. Were you in this travel mode while you were opening hotels when you were in a relationship or was this during your solo days? Did it bridge, you know, your relationship with Amy? You know, how, how did how did your personal life fit into all this moving around that you had to do? Yeah, so that's a great question and a really good question that I'm answering it by myself without Amy here. So I worked, I met Amy in a hotel. We worked in the Farmington Marriott together. We both worked in the bar together. That's a whole other story. I don't know. We can do a whole series of episodes on that. But so I got out of the hotel um, business. I started my own company. I was actually working in banking myself and I was doing a few different things. Like I always had like three or four different jobs at the same time. So it was a Sunday morning and I got a phone call from my old boss who also happens to be the neighbor of Amy's parents. I told you this is a long thing, you shouldn't have asked. So I got a call and he said, hey, I got this new gig and I'm working for Marriott Corporate now and I'm traveling around, I'm opening all these hotels and I need a little help. I know you haven't been in the industry for a couple of years, but you know, do you remember what to do? And would you be interested in coming out to Bakersfield, California? And so I did one of these, putting a hand over the receiver and I yelled into the room, hey, Amy, it's Al. This is what he's saying. Would you mind me going away for a couple of weeks? We didn't have kids then, so but we were married. And uh, she was like, no, go ahead. And little did she know that this would morph into this 10-year kind of side gig where I'd be gone for three or four weeks at a time and a couple kids at home. So it was a really good experience personally and professionally, but it was really tough for her, especially because she had to keep everything going. But we also benefited a lot from it. We got to do a lot of traveling. There was a lot of extra money that we were able to bring in and didn't really need so we didn't spend and we used it for other things so yeah it was uh it, it was tough towards the end it was only like three or four days mostly but most projects were two weeks so i'd be gone for 14 days which would have been awesome if i was 25 but living out of a suitcase when you're any older than 25 i think <laughs> it's just not cool so but again i wouldn't change it for the world it was a really really terrific i got to do so many cool things so well, all of you out there with the kids that are thinking about what they're going to be when they grow up or these teenagers leaving high school and looking for jobs, right? My my son, my oldest, who's going to be 13, was talking to me about how there's so many jobs out there that he didn't even know existed. He even asked for a careers book for Christmas. That's one of his favorite dog-eared prized possessions right now. And I just think that is the coolest thing. So we're kind of in a phase of collecting career ideas right now in our household. So, you know, I, I love the idea of a travel career that also allows for travel. You kind of have a, a twofer with that one. I, I think it's very cool and certainly worth diving into if you have a kid with interest in getting out there and exploring the world, you know? For yourself, if you're there at that stage yeah. of your life. No, that's, such a, that's a great point. And there really is so many different ways to travel with work and be involved in that industry. And really, no matter what it is that you do, whatever your profession is or whatever your passion is, whatever you want to do, you can morph that into a career and travel. I, I mean, I have a friend that's a nurse and she's a traveling nurse. So she does three months stints here, three months stints there. She's young and, and single and it's such a cool thing. And there's all types of other opportunities like that. So what a neat thing to be thinking of when you're when you're 13. That's cool. 
it's funny because my husband, you know, when he was going through college in early 20s, he worked in restaurants. And now that he's worked in restaurants, going out to dinner with him is a different experience. And not that I would treat the wait staff poorly or anything else. You know, I'm very polite, always tip very well. But like, God forbid, I try to like say like, could you make it this way? Like he like either he'll he'll <laughs> either shuts me down or he's just like, what are you doing? Like, you know, we're at, you know, Maggie McFly's like, why are you trying to ask for a different? It's on the menu. Like, what are you doing? You know, do you find that you travel differently because you know the back end of what people in the hospitality industry are going through? Definitely. Yeah. I always say that I feel like every single teenager should be forced. Like, you know, some countries you have to go into the military for two years. I feel like every teenager should have to work for a year or two in a restaurant as a server. And just the experience that you get dealing with the public and how ridiculous some people are and just what a what a really hard job that, that it is emotionally, I think, that it's, it's really difficult because you have to deal with so many different personalities and everything is go, 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 go. And then it's wait and hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And I think that it's, uh, it's a really good um, life experience for anybody. So for me, yeah, whether it's um, in a restaurant or in a bar or in a hotel, my travel background, my hospitality career background absolutely influences the, my experience for sure. And my family's experience through me. So, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that your kids are not the ones who might be like running through the hotel, like you know, the hallway at two o'clock in the morning or something like that with your, with your background or. He has know. three children. He's not a miracle worker. <laughs> no, they, so they are the ones that are doing that, but at least I'm chasing them and trying to. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So. I, make, I make more noise telling my kids to be quiet than my kids are probably making. I'm like, exactly. yeah. Quiet. <laughs> yeah. So, and then Wade tells me to be quiet, you know? <laughs> right. That that's how it goes. So I'm really glad I get to talk to you today because I don't know you well. We know we're Facebook friends and I remember meeting you. Wade and I were new to the town and we had gone out with, you know, our neighbors out for and we met you and your wife Amy at like a local tavern and the it was so loud I couldn't hear. So, you know, it's first of all try to meet and you're like, nice to meet you and it's hard to catch, but since then we've been friends on Facebook and I really enjoy following you and your family's journey, especially your fitness journey. And I don't know it well, but you know, that's something that, you know, we as a family want to incorporate more and um it sounds like it was a journey well can you tell me a little bit about how you and your family incorporate fitness into your you know your daily life into your travels Sure. My wife is an athlete. She was a college athlete and she's been, um, it's been a huge part of her life for her entire life um, since she was a child. And she was a big runner after, in college, but then after college. And that was her main source of fitness, half marathons, marathons, 5Ks, those type of things. And five years ago, someone that I went, that I grew up with, started a CrossFit gym in Colchester and asked, her five-year anniversary was just like a week or two ago, and messaged me on Facebook and was like, hey, you know, I've had this um, business for a couple of years. I'm looking to grow the membership. Um, would you and your wife be interested? And I was like, no, I would not be interested in that, uh, but thank you very much. But I'll ask Amy and see if she's interested. And she was, and she went and tried it out and fell in love with it. So she's been doing that for, for all of these years. So myself, my fitness journey has been a little bit different. I'm, I was not in interested in fitness at all for most of my 20s into my, um, probably my, well, maybe my late 20s, but I started going back to the, to the gym from like when I went, when I was in my early 20s and um, in high school, when I was uh, around 30 and I would, you know, just work out with friends and stuff like that. But my big passion that I loved to do was, was hiking and anything outdoors. So I did a lot of that. And recently, a few years ago, I joined CrossFit as well, and our kids joined CrossFit. So now all five of us are, are CrossFitters, and it's a big part of everything in, in our lives. Like, they were just there tonight. The kids had class at 7, and so they just got home. I heard them pull in, and it's something that that's part of our, you know, almost every day, one of us is at the, the gym, if not all of us, at some point. So it's a big part of our lives here, and we still try to incorporate other types of fitness as well, like being outdoors when we can. We, we almost all ski now. This year, um, there's four skiers in the house next year it'll be five um, but it's bike riding or being on the trail and so when we travel we try to do that as well we we 
me especially like to t I like to take active vacations. So Amy, I think, is more interested in like going to like a beach type of environment, which is fine. But I prefer to go to like a mountain type of environment and um, incorporate like a lot of hikes and, and fishing and that type of thing in in our in our vacation. And so we try to make that a part of every trip that that we take um it's you know there's some type of fitness involved either by through daily activities or, or the main reason that we're there do you use the gyms at hotels <laughs> yes you do yeah. does amy do. also yes do you have to split and go one at a time yes sometimes how, how do you make that work so sometimes like what now, like we, we can bring one or two of the kids. Um, if it's a situation where they have a pool and the pool is attached, one of us will go and sit with the kids in the pool and the other one will work out and then vice versa. Amy also, she's up every morning, at like four, 15, 420, goes to the gym at five. So if she needs to wake up, even if we're on vacation, she does wake up a little bit earlier sometimes. So it, it's just about planning, um, like what we have to do that day. So if we don't have much going on, I can work out later in, in the evening. She can work out in the morning but if we both want to try to get a workout in before we leave then we'll do that we'll, we'll, we'll do some type of plan like that like well you know the kids are I'm eating breakfast and i'll run down and work out and i'll just it'll be an abbreviated workout it's not something that i'll do at home but it's really just to kind of get moving and and get ready for for the day but also depending where we were she's more likely to go and like drop in at another crossfit gym which is something that i don't typically do i don't ever do i don't think i've ever done that actually so yeah i've never done that <laughs> but she she's more interested in that's in brave it. you have yeah. to be sort of socially confident i mean also it's a huge part of her life but i did not know that you had sort of reciprocity do you i mean i'm assuming do you have to buy a like a day like pass a gym or whatever yeah, yeah. it's like 10 15 dollars 20 dollars or some places are cool they just have you buy a t-shirt so as long as you go in and buy a shirt so you have a little momentum a memento to take away they get a little bit of money and you get to work out for that some places if if you know if they know you're going to be around for a little while or you come through there every once in a while every once in a while you get in a place that'll just be like you can just come for the day and don't worry about it most places yeah between 10 20 dollars for a t-shirt Given your background in hospitality, do you would you say that hotel gyms are frequently used or underused? It seems like the kind of thing where people are like, going to work out even when I'm on vacation. And then, you know, you have that giant dinner and you're like, eh. <laughs> yeah, so they are used a lot. I don't know what the story is like now, but I know when I was living in hotels, so I was in hotels for like you know, two weeks at a time, and most hotel gyms were were super busy at times. There was like, there was we knew what times to go, and we would often go in the evening before we went out to dinner, because we'd always go out like eat really late. So, but there's always gyms that are like super, super busy, and to the point where I've had times where I've went down to the gym, I've opened the door, looked in like stood there for 20 seconds, closed the door and just went, either went back up to my room and did something in my room or um, I went out for, I would go out for a run. So that's changed a lot too over the years. I think people, hotels are realized that there's a lot more interest in fitness. And so from back when I was working in a hotel until now, there's a lot of different types of equipment. They'll send equipment up to your room. There's more, you're more likely to go to the front desk and um, have them have like run, like printed running routes for the area, or at least some type of app that you can like QR code, take a picture of to go run. Several gyms I've been, or sorry, several hotels I've been to have agreements with gyms where you can get a pass from the front desk or get like a discounted rate. So I think that the overall fitness trend, which there's been so many different parts of the fitness industry that have came out over the last 10 or 15 years that hotels have caught on to that. And and it's funny, I was just talking to people at work about this. There's all these new at-home uh, products that you may be familiar with, like um, mirrors that um, actually are TVs as well. And, and you can do workouts through there and they have equipment attached to them. So I just saw I, that on a commercial. It's like the, the Peloton wall or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of that now. And I would be shocked, shocked if 10 years from now, every high-end hotel didn't have those in the room or be absolutely floored, especially boutique hotels and smaller footprints when a gym is a huge luxury of space, like think like New York and places like that. So I would be really, really shocked if you didn't see those in all the, the higher end hotels. I could see that. Yeah. In some of the places, because I, I do a lot of business travel back, you know, 
pre-COVID. And, you know, it's funny because one of the things when I'm doing it, because I usually only carry the rollerboard when I travel. And when I want to go to the gym, having that extra space in my suitcase for just the workout clothes when you're so tight is something to think and plan about. And But the gyms are really busy, especially very early in the morning before the business travelers are off at their meetings and everything else. I didn't realize that they would send equipment up to your room, though. That's pretty cool. I hadn't even thought to ask that. So. A lot of places will now. It depends on the type of hotel it is and the location, but yeah, for sure, if it's it's something to ask about, because a lot of people are self conscious about working out in front of strangers, and so it, it makes it a lot more accessible to have that that option. So I work out in my room a lot too, typically either because of of time constraints or because, like I said, the, the gym was just way too busy. But I know enough now that I can do five days a different workout every day in my room and have it be a really good workout, but like varied enough so it's not boring. So let me ask you this, you know, you and just backing up a little bit, you know, you said your, you know, favorite type of vacation or when, you know, is a hiking or out in the woods and that Amy tends to like more, you know, the relaxation. How do you guys approach travel? You know, because Kathleen and I have had a few conversations with ourselves and other people like, how do you guys approach it when your idea of travel or vacation isn't necessarily the same? Like, what are some of the things that you guys do to approach that? So you both get what you need out of your trips. Yeah, so that is not always easy. And a lot of times there's there's compromise or next time we can do this. But we try to make every vacation meaningful in a way that everybody gets something out of it that, that, they, that they want. And it might not be somebody's first choice, but we... Um, are able to um, accommodate ev- everybody. So something that I I put together a couple years ago that I thought was genius, and um, <laughs> so, sorry to get off the humble train here, but I thought it was a really great idea because I had like super young kids at that point, and we were going to do, I had in my mind that we were ready, we we're going to do our first road trip. Right. So that was one of the options that I had in there. But what I did was from the, the internet, I got 20 pictures and I pasted them all in this Word document and I handed out this paper to everybody and I said, pick three pictures that you really liked, or five maybe it was, and two pictures that you really don't like of places that you would want to go. No description, no, I tried to make the picture as representative of, as possible. And so we did that and then I put everything into a spreadsheet and I picked our vacation for, for that year. And um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was cool. And we actually did get to do the road trip, so which that I was hoping to do. So that's one way uh, to, make it, to make it fun. Well, but where did you of- end up going? Oh, we, I, I, I'm picturing like it was like the candy store or like Pokemon, you know, statue in the Midwest and, you know, the beach. <laughs> no, 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 we, we went, um, I was able um, to actually incorporate a few of the places on the road trip. So one of the places that, the three places that we were able to visit that were in there was Mammoth Caves in Kentucky. That was up on the list for people. We, most of our trip was in Pigeon Forge, which is right outside like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Great Smoky Mountains. And on the way back up, we were able to go to Harpers Ferry, um, West Virginia. So, oh, which cool. Is, yeah, which is a really cool, like, Civil War um, town mm-hmm. with a lot of history in it. That's another thing that I like to mix in along with my fitness is um, history type of uh, trips. So what was cool about that that trip specifically is we were in a bunch of different places along the Appalachian Trail. And the Appalachian Trail headquarters is in Harpers Ferry. So we got to hike the Appalachian Trail um, on three different sections. And we got to go to their, their headquarters building, which is, you know, 150 square foot little building in, uh, in the middle of Harpers Ferry. But that was a really, really um, cool part of the, the trip. Did you get to explain to your kids what through hikers are and all the stuff that yeah. they go through? And and- they <laughs> <laughs> oh, that you've already given them that whole spiel. So you have yeah. to start at the right season so that you don't end up in the snow and Katata and right, all that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I went through that ad nauseum with them especially the um my my oldest and i i talk about it with the other ones too but um she's uh you know when everybody and there's somebody around like a, the library in town or if people are coming through and talking about um their their experience on the trail i always go and i'll bring somebody so so that was one way and i've done that um one other time but a lot of times we do try to make it a bit of a democratic process we talk about it we will go through like now with youtube if um we'll pick some destinations and we'll watch some videos of the area so a really good example is this year we wanted to you know everybody wanted to take another like kind of beach resort um vacation so we're gonna go to costa rica and because in costa rica i feel like you can get a lot of those other things that i really like but still 
be at like a beach resort kind of situation. So it's not like uh, like Jamaica. It's a lot different because like culturally and um, terrain and all of that. So it'll be interesting to me. And it's a country that none of us have ever been to before. So yeah, it's funny. I'm reading this book right now called Big Potential from, and it's about it's from he's positive psychology, and he has a really great Sean Alcorn is his name, and he has a really great TED talk on YouTube. And long story on how I found him and everything else, but it talks a lot about how you motivate people and the the motivation and getting people invested in what you're doing and talks a lot in his books or writes about it about strategies that you're you're doing you know and he's talking more for management but parenting is like probably the ultimate management ever is getting people invested by you know helping to plan and helping you know making those choices that democratic process that you're talking about and how it actually you know leads to a happier experience for all so it's funny i just heard a lot of the themes that i've been reading about this week that's pretty cool so, yeah, no, uh, that's such a good point because they have an ownership stake in it now and they're invested in it and you want them to get excited about it before. And so, if they, you know, if they're coming home from the library and they got a book on Costa Rica or you see them searching things on YouTube, like that's kind of how you know how they got them. Yeah, we're, we're actually thinking of doing our first big road trip. I don't know that we'll we'll get to it, but we had talked about maybe going this spring because we're so sick of being here in home in Hebron. And, you know, we've done we've done a few trips since COVID happened, but we, we've we generally travel a lot more than we have. And my my daughter, my eight-year-old's like, I just need to see something new. She Yesterday, she had her pediatrician appointment and she's like, oh, thank God. She's like, I just need to see something new. So her trip over to Rocky Hill for her pediatrician was an exciting adventure because that's where we're at. But, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, 11, 11 12 hours in the car for a car trip. Is that something that we're ready for? And how how do you you know, without it just being sucked into the videos the whole time. I don't know, but the, the 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 way you approach it sound good. I mean, did you guys just take your car? Did you have a trailer? How did you do the road trip? So I was gonna give you that one piece of advice. So definitely rent, rent a vehicle that is somebody else's vehicle that you can be done with afterwards because all of that time on the, on the road, like just the wear and tear on your car, but also you wanna get something that suits where you're going, which might not be the vehicle that you own. So we, um, we did that and it was a really, really great idea. And cost-wise, it kind of it, it wasn't that that big of a deal, especially if you look at you know the the opposite, like what you're doing to your your vehicle. So I would definitely recommend doing that. And we got a vehicle that was big enough that we could we could separate people out. Um, so there was less. Um, you know, we tried to get out of punch um, distance between the kids. So, but um, we also were stupid because we brought like we got a lot of activities that you could do in the car and stuff we could do together. But we got those like really big like kind of novelty pens, and it was kind of bridged the gap. And they're also much harder for whacking. So um, we had. To take away a few of those. <laughs> so but, that's what um, not to provide. No giant novelty pens. Yeah. Nothing longer than about five inches. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but we did a lot of activities. We played a lot of games. We did scavenger hunt types of things to kind of keep their mind occupied. Um, there was definitely like a good portion of it that was like um, video based, but even that got boring to them. So, you know, we're I um, like to sing a lot, so we we did some of that, but then people get over like overstimulated with that so we can't do that but the scavenger hunt thing is really cool because you can make those up and you could do it from the beginning to the end and just come up with a bunch of random things and you know depends on what your kind of your, your kids personalities are but for ours they were like totally like into like you know we have to find this and do that we did a lot of like so like stupid social media stuff like the floss had just came out there so i took like little video clips of uh, mason doing the floss as many like kind of random spots like you know the big ball yarn type of uh like uh, <laughs> things is uh, wherever i could just to kind of that's like, a great idea yeah so i love that that was a hard part the, the the traveling but it was it was just such a it was so cool to let them see like our country i was so um when i was younger like wanting to go to different countries and stuff and my mom's from ireland so i would go there a lot but I realized at some point, like, wow, there's so much of our country that I haven't seen. And so to be able to experience that with them. And um, also for me personally, I got to check off a couple states that I'd never been to. And so now I have, I think, five left, maybe five, five or six left states to, to visit. And uh, so that was kind of a cool to have them experience that with me because I know it's like a big deal for me. So, yeah. That's really cool. We Our longest car trip was to D.C. a couple of years ago. 
which was, you know, it was, it was, you know, significant. It was like five, six hours, you know, seven probably with traffic. And I like went through trying to find stuff to do in the car, you know, to give it a break from video and everything else. And I got, I don't know if you guys remember, or if there were these from when I was a kid, these like car bingo cards where like you had to see certain things and it's a bingo it's a bingo card and it has like i swear these 1950 pictures on them of things like you know the tractor and the hay baler which nobody is gonna see going down like the beltway to dc but like so it's all these and then you have to explain you spend more time explaining to your kids what these pictures are supposed to be depicting because these things don't exist anymore what's a phone booth (laughs) yeah right exactly (laughs) that doesn't exist yeah Exactly. But it was fun. I mean, so that we, we still have our car bingo cards around somewhere, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like in the middle, you're like, oh my gosh, this feels like it's going to be forever. But afterward, like the, the, going back to DC is something they, they want to do. So I feel mm. like they forget the, the boring parts, you yeah, know, the, the long, boring parts they forget. You know, and it's and it's good for them. I mean, I think we're so used to having to be stimulated every single minute of the day, like just looking out the window and thinking for a while. Give yourself a chance and your kids chance of like your brain just a break to just let your mind wander and think. And there's few places anymore that you can do that. But the long car trip is probably one of the last places where you can just let your mind wander a little bit. One of the things I, Kathleen and I, you know, when we first started talking about this podcast and and what we wanted to do, we had a lot of conversations. We were sort of each other's bubble this summer, our family, you know, there are 10 of us all together. And we would just sit and talk and, and... and kind of dream and like what we loved about travel. And like, like I, like I told you when I invited you on, what's really important to us talk about like the mindset and strategies. And we've done that, you know, I think a fair bit in the beginning of, you know, as we started out. But as we've gone on, one of the things that I I worry about and what we're talking about is that, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the DeCesares or the Monroes or the Daniels or whatever else. And everyone has their own journey. And travel is not inexpensive, but it doesn't have to be either. And so much of it is a mindset. And, you know, again, most of our relationship has been through Facebook. I've, I've seen you post, but I've also seen you post a little bit about, you know, I think as a business owner, some of the financial foundational information, you know, and so I was wondering if we could just talk a little bit about for people who are listening, who maybe feel like they can't be a traveler because maybe their finances are not in a place to allow it right now, you know, a little bit about, well, what are your thoughts about, you know, charging the, you know, charging the vacation? Like, is it worth it? You know, if, if money's tight, but our time with our kids are limited, like, what are your thoughts about like how you finance your vacation when money's tight? Yeah, that is a really, really challenging thing. And I think it's especially challenging the way you started it off when you live in a place where your neighbor's are coming back and they went to this great place and even more so with social media being able to see these people on like you know these these yachts and stuff with uh with their whole family and you're looking it's like oh my gosh like how how do they afford that and that how do they afford that mindset is different because a lot of people can't afford it and even though that they're going to it it's not necessarily was like a great financial decision so that is the ultimate question right is like what the way you posed it, we have, you know, there's the finance situation here um, and wanting to be responsible and also wanting to spend like quality time and give experiences to our children. I err towards the financial part because I I think um, just like I do with all of our vacations, I try to make it a learning experience because I feel like that hands-on learning is like you can you can tell them all about the government, but you just walk them into the Capitol building and it's like all of these lessons like come together, you know? And so um, same thing with, you can talk about science or you can go for a walk in, in um, nature. So when it comes to that, I think that it is a bad idea in most aspects to um, accumulate debt 
to go on vacation. Somebody that I listen to a lot and has been a huge impact on our lives, all of our lives here is Dave Ramsey. And he always talks about like, you know, going on vacation and bringing it back with, with you. And that always stuck with me. And if you look at, um, if you're paying for, if you're charging a vacation and paying for a year later, you're not even maybe remember some of the experiences that you have. To, there's no better feeling to me than to walk onto an airplane or get into the car to go and know that it's already paid for. And I don't have to, to worry about that anymore. More. So now that being said, it is something that we had to challenge ourselves because there was things we wanted to do in places we wanted to go when we were younger and we were in like hyper savings mode because we had goals around that and we, we didn't accumulate any debt and we had to alter our, our vacations which was cool because we went places we never would have went. So if we wanted a vacation, instead of going to like, you know, a ski vacation to Vail, um, we would do something in like Southern New Hampshire and, and it was totally fine. So we did that and we would do a lot of off season stuff or a lot of like um, shoulder season vacation or we, and we would save for it and we would make sacrifices and we brought our kids into that. So we paid off the mortgage on our house a few years ago and we woke up on a Saturday morning and we put everybody in the van and we stood outside the bank until they opened and the three, the five of us walked in and we walked up to the teller and we said, we're here to pay off the mortgage. And uh, it was the most anticlimactic thing. I got like a little receipt back that looks like they needed to change the ink on. And it was like, no, thank you, come again. So I had to like ask like the manager, like take our picture and stuff. But that was an experience that we were hoping would stick with our kids for the rest of our lives. And now we explain that to them. It's like, when we're doing these things now, we, your mother and I worked hard for years and we sacrificed a lot so that we can experience it the way that we're experiencing it and you know we don't have to make those harder decisions now because we made so many hard decisions before and that's really hard for people to grasp because everything is like a, we're in such a now society you know like nobody i feel like goes out and gets married and lives in like some crappy little apartment for the first three years like it's like everybody's like married mm -hmm. to like brand new cars three thousand square foot house and it's like meanwhile I lived in like slums, like for, for years, like not until I was like 30, did I live in like a, like a respectable neighborhood. So our first house that we bought, bought, um, was actually a house and it had two rental units on the property. So, you know, here I was, you know, I came out of law school and I came out of law school with a lot of debt. So like, that was not an insignificant thing. So we started in a hole. And I remember when I first, you know, got together with my husband because I was coming with debt and he was coming with property. And I'm like, are you, are you sure you want me? Like, you know, like, <laughs> I promise I'll make good on this, but it was hard. And one of the things we did, one of this, one of, you know, we, we didn't pick the house that most of our friends were picking. And, you know, we we're, but we were down by the lake. We had a great time. We couldn't go anywhere because we were trying to pay stuff off, you know, and we got the 15 year mortgage. So, you know, saving aggressively, paying it down. And we had tenants and we'd learn plumbing. And I, you know, I always do the, 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 the bookkeeping and the finance part of that and learning that. And then, you know, two years later, we actually were able to keep the, that property and then move into our next. But again, it was a fixer upper. So it wasn't, it wasn't the easy week. We didn't buy the done house. It was the house that, you know, back in 2012, the bank, the pipes had froze and nobody wanted it anymore. And I, I found it and I'm like, what's wrong with this house? Why is it like not priced right? And, you know, you had to tear down the ceiling. You had to do some work, but, you know, we figured out the right, the right product, how you get it, how you save for it. You know, then we, we had that house and came here. So, you know, here, here we are, you know, with our side hustle landlording business. And, you know, we have, we, well, we just sold one, but we had five rental units. And the reason why we bought the house we, we live in now is because we rent out the apartment over the garage and we liked that. And, you know, cause it, we tell the kids, like, you know, that's one way that we can afford to do some of the stuff we do because, you know, yeah, mom and dad actually work and we do this too. And we, we try to do that part and show them like how it works, you know, and have those conversations and try to talk more open about what things cost, not so that they can't do it, but have to figure out how you're going to do it. Because I feel like they don't, they don't teach fi financial stuff. I, you know, here I am, I got my law degree and everything else. And I came out of school and I'm like, yeah, I really don't understand how money works. Like, I don't understand how it works. Like, you, know, you think you should. And I'm like, what does everyone else know that I don't know? Because I didn't l learn it. And so we, 
you know, like you guys go and that's awesome showing them that we took, we, we, um, actually my, we just is buying his first business. So he's, he had to leave his job for COVID and take care of the kids, but we're starting a new business this spring. And so when we did the signing, we made the kids, it's, and it was virtual. We made them come sit with us. We're like, this is what it looks like. And they're like, what do you, we're like, no, this is a thing. Like you should know what this is. Like we want to show you how this works. But you know, one of our plans is our oldest is nine is to help in a future vacation really start start to budget where we've started is the gift shop we started with our budgeting and the gift shops what we did our, on our first trip we went to disney and our kids at the time were five four and one so the one-year-old you know the one-year-old the one-year-old but for the five-year-old and the four-year-old for the week in disney and then we went to legoland we gave them I think we gave them like a hundred dollars, which sounds like a lot, but you know, everything's expensive. Right. And we said, this is your spending money for the week. Like this is all you're going to get. It made it a different conversation going into the gift shops because we didn't have to judge. The conversation was no longer, can you buy that or can't you buy that? But it was, it was more like, okay, well, if that's important to you and you get that, know that, you know, down the line, we can't get we can't get other stuff. So, so we, we all week long, you know, my daughter spent all her money the first three days, but she got stuff. She absolutely loved stuff. I would never buy. It was, it was, um, I remember she got a, a hat with the Disney princesses, which she still has four years later. She got an Elena Barbie doll, which she still plays with, which I probably wouldn't have let her got because it was like an overpriced Barbie doll. And then the last thing that she bought was a bubble wand at the Disney parade for like $25. It was like played songs and lights and bubbles. And again, not anything I would have ever spent my money on, but she loved it. She absolutely loved it. And while I was trying to teach her about money, it also taught me that her values and my values aren't the same. And I was glad I didn't have to value. And then she was fine not spending the money. And my son like tortured himself through the gift shop at five years old, tortured himself because he's like, if I get this, I can't get other stuff later. I can't get other stuff later. But he saved all his money for the very last day at Legoland because at five years old, he was still a Lego lover and he was not going to waste his money at Disney. He was saving it for that big Lego set. So yeah, I just... It, it is. It's those hard. It, it can be hard to discuss money and showing the kids, but those conversations, what they learn, hopefully, is just so valuable in in how you do it and the sacrifices you have to make and that you can do you can do a lot of things, but you can't do everything and you have to make those choices. Yeah. So, and there has to be, there's always going to be a sacrifice. You're always going to have to choose one thing over the other. And, you know, if you don't make those choices, it's going to catch up to you, but it's a, it's an experience that we wanted to give them. We decided early on that we were going to be like super transparent with everything that we do with, um, with our money and let, let them know and let them see. And it's probably, you know, what you mentioned was, was, brought on, we don't learn nearly enough of that in a school setting. And honestly, I don't know that we could learn enough in a school setting for it to be valuable enough, because one of the things is it doesn't matter how uh, what your IQ is, how how smart you are, how book smart you are. Finances is, is, is a behavioral um, thing. So it's something that is more learned um, through habits and behaviors. And so I think that you, you'll see most people, they have a relationship with money the same way that um, their parents did. Um, so maybe they pay the certain way they pay their bills or, you know, how they pay for stuff. If you go and you pay with a check rather than a credit card, it's, it's really likely that they saw their parents doing that or some, you know, some mm -hmm. interaction like that. And so that's why it's really the only way you can change that is to change your behaviors and your habits if you want to be better with your finances, which isn't easy, especially when you're doing it kind of on your own, um, learning something brand new. So that's why it's important for us to at, when they're young to bring them up with really good behaviors and um, and habits and let them know that the word budget isn't like a four letter word. And we treat it like that. Like, oh, I'm budgeting for vacation. If you say that to a lot of people are like, oh, really? Did you got, did somebody lose a job or something? Like that? And it's like, no, <laughs> like, I'm just, that, I want to be able to spend my money responsibly. Okay, now you don't have to tell yeah. us, or it's like, it's like, you know, we'll be praying for you. It's like, well, what am I talking about? I don't know, spend my money. <laughs> yep. so. It's like diet versus healthy living, right? It's yeah. that, the nuances of that. We had a discussion at the dinner table tonight about the value of something and how the numerical price on an object doesn't necessarily reflect 
the object itself, but all of the things you have to consider that puts value into the object and its cost. Like, is it worth the price that is being asked for it? Are the materials or the handmade effort, is the value to you in terms of functionality or nostalgia or solving a problem in your life? Is it a want versus a need? You know, we had this really long conversation about all the different things you need to weigh that goes into whether something is expensive or worth the value that, you know, is, is placed upon it by somebody else when you're in an exchange like that. And so it's interesting because my nine-year-old piped up with uh, later on in the evening, he must have been brewing on this after our dinner conversation, because he was like, you know, that's why I get so frustrated when I spend my money at the Dollar Tree, because I want stuff and I spend my money, but then it breaks. And I said, that's right. He's like, because it's not worth what I'm paying for. It and it doesn't mean enough to me. I just want something. And I'm not thinking about whether it'll last or whether it really means something to me. And I was like, wow, that really resonated with you. Because he's made that mistake more than once. And watching the heartbreak over money that won't be recovered and then an object that's lost, like that's hard, you know, and he's, you hope that that mistake doesn't get made too many more times, but it happens on very various different levels as we go through our stages of life. You know, nine-year-olds make it and 19-year-olds definitely make that, that same mistake in 29-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's such a great lesson. We, we, we talk about that uh, so often here is, you know, spend your money on experiences, not things. Spend your money on experiences and not things, but because experiences, they don't break. They, they stay with you okay. for forever. You know, there's, I'm going to guess there's a reason, Amy, that your kids still have these things from four years ago. And there's probably stuff that you got them six months ago after anything like my kids that they don't have anymore. Yeah. They, don't, they don't care about anymore, but those purchases meant something to them. I'm guess, guessing. And it mm -hmm. was you know, whether it was responsibility or being in this really cool place that they dreamed of or whatever it was, but those types of things mean so much. And, you know, we only take a little bit every year with us to the next year and to the next year. And when I look back on the things when I was their age that I remember, I remember every trip we ever went to Ireland when I was younger. Um, my, I remember, you know, like the one time we went to Florida when when, when we were younger and my, my dad had a business trip and we just kind of um, came along and I slept on it. Um, my dad pulled like a, a, a lounger in from the pool and I and they put a sheet on it and I slept on that in the at the foot of their bed. Like I remember those things. Yeah. Really. Um, I'm sure I added a little bit to it over the years, but it's uh, I think that's one of the most important lessons is um, lessons that we can teach our children and ourselves is experiences, not things. Yeah, I agree. And that, that for me, actually, that's been one of the struggles for COVID for me is because for, especially for my family, we've been a little more sheltered. We have, you know, older, um, you know, our, our parents are in their eighties and thankfully the last ones are getting their shots, their second shot tomorrow. Yeah. But so we've, we've kind of hung back so that we could be closer to them, but wrestling with how you still do experiences when you really don't go anywhere, that was probably like the biggest challenge of the year. And it took a while to figure it out. Like, how do you create experiences when you're still home? You know, and it's, you know, to be cliche of, you know, the COVID cliche, but it was, some of it was baking in the kitchen, you know, doing things like that. So, but you know, that reminds me of something, Charles, that you said earlier tonight. One of the things that we do in our podcast is occasionally we have an ask better family travel segment. Sometimes we have a travel tip. Tonight, I was wondering if you could give us another travel tip because you had said that bringing back the vacation is really important. And so now that we're still sort of stuck home, yes, we're beginning to make travel plans, but a lot of us are still in that hanging out stage. We are revisiting our previous adventures um, in, in a variety of different ways. But I would love to know from you, what's one tip about bringing your vacation home? One or two tips. Yeah. So I, th one of my favorite things about um, bringing it, bringing the, the experience back is we love to get Christmas ornaments and we're a big Christmas family. So, but one of my favorite things is decorating the tree and looking at all those ornaments and talking about them with everybody. Hey, remember this? And it kind of brings us back. So that it's already like a special family time of the year. And so to be able to do that, I think is really, really cool. But also pick places that you can check a lot of boxes 
off of uh, where you can go somewhere and make it something for everyone and let people have a say maybe even if it's simple as like all right um we're, we're gone for five nights there's five of us each person gets to pick what, where we go for dinner or whatever and give everybody some ownership in that i think that that's that's really really important and it helps to cement some of those uh, memories that will will be around and um, i think that it's really cool what you're just saying that you're kind of going back through some old adventures that's that's really really fun and i and i think that that's important too because the problem is is now with like google earth and youtube and all these things is there's so many places i want to go to all of them um but to be able to make a decision are we going to go back to the same place that we've already been to a few times? Or are we going to try somewhere new? And I think it's a good mix of those is uh, is the best strategy. And the other, the last thing that I will say is one of the best vacations that you can have. And I firmly believe this: somebody that loves you know traveling all everywhere. But one of the best vacations that you can have is a staycation where you treat your home as your hotel for for the week, and you do things in your area that you've never done before. And you act like a tourist in your own state and town. And I will challenge anybody that says differently because I know I know a lot of people um, from like, you know, business over the years that have like lived in New York City and never been to the Statue of Liberty or never been on the same street as, yeah, as the Empire State Building, things like that. I and there's, we, I grew up in, in um, Higginham, Connecticut, Haddam, and there's a couple of like little like museum, like historical kind of spots there that I've still to this day never been to. I drove by them all the time and I never, never went to them. And so I think that um, you can do, so, there's, there's so much to do like in Connecticut that you could have just an awesome vacation. I mean, you could go to an amusement park one day. You could go like on a 25 mile hike one day. You could go to the beach an, another day. You could go into the, to the city, go into New Haven and like, you know, go have pizza and go to museums and stuff. Like, it's like there's a lot to do. And especially when we're talking about like cost conscious travel, that's a really cool um, way to do it. So don't like um, put so much stock into like a, a zip code on where you're going. What vacation should be about is different for everybody, but you can achieve that wherever it is. So if it's like a relaxation thing, if it's a fitness thing, if it's a educational, like historical thing, nature thing, you can do all of that in, in your home area. So that would be my advice. Thank you so much. It has been amazing to talk to you tonight. I feel like my head is full of so many ideas and new thoughts. I could keep talking to you for another hour easily. Yeah. Well, thank thank you, you so much for coming. I um, really appreciate it. It's been great having you. Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I think what you're doing is so, so cool. And with all the tragedy and just horrible things that have happened in over the last year, um, I really try to focus on what awesome things have came out of it and how we've all gotten stronger and something like this. Like, I don't know how long you've been doing it, but if there was no COVID, would there be this podcast? Would we have had this opportunity to talk? Probably not. So I'm thankful for the opportunity and congratulations to you guys for such a cool hobby or whatever, you know, side job, whatever. Yeah. No, really, really, uh, really cool. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Better Family Travel is made possible by the amazing folks from CMG Podcast Network. Check out their list of unique podcasts and production services over at clovercrestmedia.com. Thank you for leaving us feedback wherever you are downloading our podcast. Join our community on Facebook to stay current on our topics and resources and look out for our new blog coming soon. Please submit your questions to us through askbft at betterfamilytravel.com.